Hello and welcome to the Ragman's Harbor, the official podcast of the Planet of Sea Exchange Program. We're a podcast discussing A Song of Ice and Fire from a non-Anglo perspective, since we're both from non-English speaking countries. And in this podcast, we talk about historical and cultural parallels that we find between A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones and real life. I am Virginie and my pronouns are she, her in English. And I'm Lou, and my pronouns are they, them in English. Um, so we know that we have a very beautiful accent. Thank you very much. Yes. You do not need to let us know that you realize that as well. However, you can write to us for other things, like to comment on what we've said, to uh, add to what we've said, to ask us questions. Please do write to us. That would be fun. Uh, we can be found on social media at Pod at gmail.com, that's our email, and on Twitter, x, RagmansPod, and on Blue Sky, what is it again, RagmansPod, social, Blue yeah, Sky, whatever, that thing, RagmansPod. Yes. Also, we should warn you, uh, in this podcast, we will potentially cover things from all ASWAF books, including histories and novellas, as well as Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. So be warned. Yes. Yeah, we are totally doing that today. The very important yes, things. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Good. Yeah. Uh, so, Lo, you wanted to tell the world something about me? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, you added me on Blue Sky being like, hey, why have you not told me about the Stora Elvandringen? And I was like, I'm so sorry. This is totally my bad. I should have told you about the Stora Elvandringen. Um, I have to say, I really look forward to seeing, uh, to watching it in summer when it's hot. Mm. Because right now it's cold because it's winter where I am, which is, you know, near Paris. And watching Swedish nature with this, is that elk in English or am I going for the easy translation? Here? I always misremember if it's elk or moose because I think it's different in the UK compared to the US. Yeah, that's, I mean, English is confusing. But these yes. big animals, right? Um, yes. So they go through nature and there is plenty of snow. And I have to say that for someone who hates snow like myself, watching it from the comfort of wherever I am, somewhere indoors and warm, is a super wonderful, beautiful way, and also very cheap, to uh, travel beyond the wall, because, you know, snow, yes. uh, to uh, see this gorgeous nature and beautiful animals living their best life and also their death. Because, yes, it is real, and it's not like a movie for kids. Although kids should know, I suppose, that animals yeah. die. No, it's really... Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, so... Basically... Basically, just for everyone who uh, is not familiar with the story of Elvandringen, it literally means the large moose, uh, I don't know, hike, wandering, journey? Migration. Migration, yeah. And it's just uh, like a documentary, I guess, but not. there's no, no one talking. It's just uh, like filming moose going around <laughs> migrating through the country it's very we had it on in the background at a meeting at work a while back just like we were talking about work stuff and we just had it on in the background it was very nice that's amazing oh, 
Swedish culture right here, people. Yes. Ah. Yes. Also, speaking of Swedish things, um, I have um, a friend in real life called Vendela uh, who's been listening to the podcast. And well, she, she actually listens to all my Ace Warp podcasts, even though she's only watched the show and heard me ramble about the books. Uh, and she always gives very thorough feedback, which I love. It's very sweet of her. She's it's so true. Uh, very good. She's such a good person. Um, so as a thanks for the feedback, I thought we could grant her a wish uh, that she sent in the feedback of uh, episode two. She had a specific request of you. Uh, do you want to grant her the w- her wish? Um, yeah. Tack, Vandela. Det var jättekul av dig att du I can't speak Swedish. <laughs> How do you say you said that? So? Du sa det. Oh, man, I was trying to make this uh, verb way too complicatedly in my brain that didn't work. So it was just so. Um, du sa det. Tack. <laughs> yeah, so for anyone who didn't catch on, uh, the request was for Virginie to attempt to speak Swedish. Um, and I just thanked her because, because it's very... Yet the cool because um, I've decided this is the best word and there's there's a hidden <laughs> reason why that we might touch on later. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh so yeah. Do we have any other comments we wanna comment on from our friends? Uh no, but we received an email. I mean, sure okay. it was not a bad podcast, but we did receive an email and that was nice. So people do write to us, that makes me happy. Yeah. I do want to say thank you to Girls Gone Canon for shouting us out in the last episode. Uh, they were very nice. They also read one of my emails and said I was not allowed to say say slash write smart things about Arya, <laughs> uh, which is going to be a problem for this episode. I, I think so. I was thinking that when I heard the Girl Go- Girls Gone Canon episode yesterday. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, Chloe, and also Carm, who was their guest. I'm. I'm. I'm sure. I'm unfortunately gonna talk about Arya some in this episode um just a little bit my apologies um but mostly uh we wanted to add things from last episode I mean that I I totally forgot I kind of actually said the opposite to what I'm going to say right now uh in episode three so about names I said that in France men and women had very separate names to choose from I mean, to use, I don't mm-hmm. know, their parents usually would give them their names. Anyway, that was totally not true. Like, I got confused, guys. Um, so, for instance, a lot of, like, not mine. My name literally means girl, unmarried, age seven and above. But other than that, many names are masculine and feminine. You usually just change the spelling. Uh, and usually it's a masculine name being made into a female name, like said Danielle, Daniel, you add an E mm-hmm. to that, and bam, it's Danielle and it's a woman. Okay. Actually, that name also exists in English, or Michelle is also, like Michael, you have Michelle as a name in English. Michelle? I don't know how to Yeah, in it. Swedish you have Mikael or Michaela. Exactly. So that one is in French, just Michelle, Michelle, and the spelling is different mm-hmm. other than that, same word. But there's also a few examples the other way around and the most important one because come on catholic is marie so yeah. mary the mother of jesus you know 
so her name is feminine and it in French has a very feminine ending, i.e. the most feminine thing you can think of, like Virginie, right? And um, that very same name without a change as opposed to in Spanish or Italian is also a masculine name because she's the mother of Jesus and it's fine to be called Marie and be a man. Mm. In modern days, it tends to be Jean-Marie, so John Mary, <laughs> high Bible. Um, but and there's quite a few famous Jean-Marie and there's one who's internationally famous for being the guy who founded the extreme right-wing uh, party, you know, Jean-Marie Le Pen. Oh, yes, yeah, so like it's it's totally a thing to have a feminine coded name and be a man so long as it's, you know, the correct ones. Uh, and yes, in uh, Italy, Spain, where they have a different system for opposing masculine and feminine, so usually A-O, you know, so Maria is a woman's name while Mario is a man's name. We don't and even do in, that. In Spanish, you have like Jose Maria. Oh, oh yeah, of course. That's also a very, very common compound name. Yeah. Like, so Jose is Joseph. Yeah. Jo there's no Joseph Marie. I mean, Joseph Marie does exist. I know there's like, this one in history, but like that's very noble coded, whereas Jean Marie is mm. not noble. Um, yes. And did you want to add anything in Sweden? Uh, not in Sweden, nope. but in Aeswap. <laughs> oh, close enough. <laughs> so, yeah, I in the episode I said there aren't really named religious uh, figures in the Faith of the Seven. Uh, and then I listened to Radio Westeros episodes about the Andals, and they talked about Hugo of the Hill. And yeah. I was like, oh, right, that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, Hugo of the Hill. Um, we don't really have people named after him in the story, though. Uh, the closest, I guess, is Tyrion taking on the name Hugo Hill. Uh, yep. And then we have Hugh the Hammer in, yep. the, in uh, the Dance of the Dragons. Uh, but yeah, the Faith does have some names. And probably, there are probably more in um, the Seven Pointed Star, their religious text, but we haven't got it. Yeah, too much no. to exactly. We, yeah, I'm sure there are more. Like maybe Pate is a name from it. Mm -hmm. And that would explain why, it, why it's so common. Um, anyway, today we are not talking about bait. We are not. No. no. We are not talking about names. Oh, we could. We totally can. We um, could. <laughs> but uh, what are we talking about, Lou? We are talking about cats. Because I'm so happy. Anyway, um... Yes, cats. So my little sister, when I told her this is what we're recording on, she accused us of just wanting to talk about cats. And what? Yeah, that's I'm, ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Why would we do that? Um, however, that really made me think that my sister was only a show watcher. She's never read the books. Mm -hmm. And actually, she's probably not the only one who's confused about why we would want to talk about cats and s -work, So... Yes, in the show, there's very little cat. I mean, there's Kathleen. Yes. I'm not even sure anyone nicknames her. Uh, nicknames are cat in the show. It does yes. happen in Little the... Finger does in that scene, okay. I think. When okay, it's very like good. only cat. Uh, because in the book, her dad thinks of her as little cat or whatever. Yes. And um, 
in uh, the books, there's also a ton of cat stuff happening. I know in the show, Arya does mm -hmm. chase cats in the Red uh, Keep, but that's about it. Where there's so much more in the books. So if you hear mm -hmm. us talk about something, you don't know what we're talking about, and it's in the story. Well, please believe us, it's in the books. Yes. Because yes. mm. we're totally going to do that. And also, yeah, okay, true. My little sister is onto something. I do love cats, and um, I think, Chloe, mm -hmm. you do love cats too. Yes, I do love cats. Uh, I'm not sure where my cat is at the moment. Um, oh, she's sleeping on the sofa. Oh, okay. Uh, she's doing very important cat stuff. Yes, yeah. yes. So I don't currently have a cat, so I cannot show any cat to you. Um, I mean, I will show you cats later, but a different mm -hmm. type of cat. And I don't know. I showed you the very cute illustration already, so my, yes. my, my part is done. Anyway, how about you got us started? Yes, so um, I started doing some research about historical cats and such. And when doing that, I found a wonderful book called Medieval Pets by Dr. Kathleen Walker Meikle. Uh, and some of her points about pets, including, the, including cats in the Middle Ages, felt like a good place to start. Uh, so Walker Meikle starts out her book by making a distinction between pets and other domesticated animals. She And she argues that in the Middle Ages, what made an animal a pet was generally that it was an animal kept for companionship, that it was not eaten, uh, it was generally kept indoors, and it was given a name. Well, so these things together makes it distinct from other domesticated animals whom human might also, humans might also have close relationships to, but who aren't pets, exactly. Uh, I I appreciate this point about them not being eaten, which I mean I get I get it, but it was kind of abrupt when I read it. I mean, yes, that's different, definitely, because mm -hmm. domesticated animals also included like cows and goats yeah. and sheep yes. and whatever yeah. animal that's kept around the house. Domus in Latin is the house, so domesticated, mm -hmm. yeah. And it doesn't really mean what we understand. So yes, there is definitely uh, the two categories, what is domesticated and eaten and what is domesticated and not eaten. Yes. 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 Uh, and then Dr. Volker Melke, also, I'm going to pronounce this name like five different ways during this episode. I'm sorry, uh, dear Dr. Volker Melke. Uh, yeah. uh, I also I still don't know how to pronounce it. Sorry. Yeah. I'm like, I want to pronounce it Norwegian, the last part, but I'm not sure if it's Norwegian. Anyway, Dr. Walke also discusses who kept pets during the Middle Ages, and that was really interesting. Um, so while people of all genders and classes might have pets, it seems like it was especially common among the upper classes and especially among women and clergy. Uh, and secular men might also have pets, but in those cases, they were typically, typically typically like large pets who are supposed to represent them and their masculinity, etc. Uh, while women and clergy typically had smaller pets. And uh, Dr. Walker Walk Melke points out that there are is a logic to this categorization. 
quote, There is a logic to the ambiguity of gender categories, as clergics represented, as it were, a third gender by virtue of their functional celibacy. Since marriage and fighting, signs of masculinity, were barred for clerics, they functioned as another category of gendered identity. Mm. And you, you know me, you know I'm going to talk <laughs> about gender stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, obviously. Um, and I found this super interesting. And I'll, I'll get back to gendered aspects of pets later uh, and gender symbolism and gender fluidity, certain roles in society. Um, but yeah, did you have any thoughts on this? Well, I really like that there is a third gender, and this third gender is the I love cats gender. That's totally yes. what I understood. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. That that was the main takeaway. Yes, yes. <laughs> but there's also this, this distinction between who should have what pets comes up in various medieval texts. So Walker Milke notes that in old Irish legal texts, pet dogs are associated with high women sta- high status women. Ah. Bless you. Um, thank you. One text, for instance, declares, declares that a lord should have a hun- hunting hound while his wife should have a pet dog. Well. So like a hunting hound is like a working animal in another sense. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another legal text that talks about cats who are kept indoors by women and allowed to sleep in special baskets or on a pillow on the bed. And I, I just assume that medieval cats were like our cats and did not approve of specific beds. But like, even if you bought them a bed, they will not sleep on the cat bed. They will sleep on the pillow, on your pillow on the bed. That's what a cat does. Yeah. I mean, of course. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Why cat sleep stuff. in the thing the, the, the human has bought for you when you can sleep on wherever else? In the camp book box. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, so yeah, in, in many ways, cats were described as something luxurious, something fancy women would have, but it should be noted that not just upper class women kept pets. Regular people did do it too, especially in cities. And as mentioned above, clerics often kept pets in especially cats, um, because they were popular with clerics because, because it could be argued that they had a practical function as mousers. So it wasn't just frivolous to keep no. them because the church was like, don't do frivolous stuff, you're a monk. But they were like, yes, but the cat is hunting mice, so I get to keep the cat. Uh, so I, I would just like to add something really quickly. I don't know if, I don't, because, okay, we read the same book. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But I'm not sure where she is locating her research because in no. France, which is, a specific place, I suppose, maybe, who knows, with all these borders moving all the time. Um, There's no way a cat was kept as a pet. Like, maybe one cat was kept as a pet, but cats in general were not kept as pets until later, when I'm going to mention that later, but um, Mm -hmm. after the 14th century, basically. And clerics, very interestingly, why were there balloons? (laughs) <laughs> no, I was so confused. Um, sorry, Skype is doing things. Anyway, so uh, clerics, they did keep cats for practical reasons, as you said, mothers. They didn't like them. No. <laughs> sorry, but because I guess they were clerics and they saw, you know, little devils, mm. which I'm going to expand on, but um, practical little devils. Yes. Anyway, please, sorry I interrupted you. 
No, I I think she's mostly in like Ireland, Ireland yeah, and I the think UK. So too. Yeah. Um, but there's some mentions in the book of like Italy later, yeah, I guess, yeah. but mostly the British Isles. Uh, but yeah, I, I I had to add a quote about cats and clerics that I think everyone who follows uh, the cats of your account Pretty. on social media or weird medieval uh, art or whatever it's called, that account, uh, will appreciate this. So uh, when talking about cats and clerics, Walker Milke writes, there are traces of medieval cats not only in medieval sources, but on the sources themselves. Yes. Manuscripts left open my tempt muddy or dusty paws. There are folios littered with paw prints in two 12th century English manuscripts and several smudged paw prints on a page of a 15th century solophogram. The smudged ones might indicate signs of a struggle to get the cat off the page. And we know that's real. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I also, in one of the bo Swedish books I, I read, they talked about finding traces of a cat in, um, I think it was an old monastery, because the cat had walked uh, like on the clay or like the the material used to build the monastery. So they were like puppets. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, cats, they, they, they do be getting in places where they should not be getting. <laughs> yes but like like we talked about cats could be pets um but they could also serve roles as mousers and also just a side point do, do you know how i learned the word mousers when i how i first heard that word uh no no oh no please so, don't be blood and cheese no, it's not oh. Blanchies. It's uh, Larry, the chief mouser of Downing Street. <laughs> ah, yeah. Oh, actually, <laughs> that might have something. I, I hadn't heard the it. word mouser before, but <laughs> his his bio on Twitter is chief mouser of Downing Street, um, and that's how I learned that word. Yeah, actually, that probably is also my story with it, except I didn't remember. Huh. That's, you know, how we learn foreign languages is always fantastic. Yes. And thank you, um, Larry the Cat of 10 Downing Street. Larry yes. is a good cat. He is. And he's yeah. Um, like, yeah, he's media person. He's a good person, hmm. I, I would yes. argue. Yes. But speaking of cats in places of power, mm -hmm. um, like in uh, medieval times of our world, there's a lot of cats uh, in the Red Keep serving as mousers. And uh, I wanted to include a quote from Arya in A Game of Thrones, where she's chasing cats in the Red Keep. Um, and it says, The Red Keep was full of cats. Lazy old cats dozing in the sun, cold-eyed mousers twitching their tails, quick little kittens with claws like needles, Ladies' cats all combed and trusting, ragged shadows prowling the midden heaps. I like it. The idea that ladies' cats could be all combed. What the hell is a capped cat, a combed cat? Like, do you think someone runs a little comb through the cat's hair? Anyway, sorry. I um, mean, I've seen people who comb their cats, especially if, if they have brush. long hair. But... Yeah, brush to get rid of so much hair. But, um, 
But combed sounds like they're being prepped for a beauty contest or something. That's right. And that is absolutely hilarious because it's so wrong. It's so bad. Oh, my God, George, do you know anything about cats? That's a new question I have for George. (laughs) I'm thinking, yeah, really, of a competition cat, like those with the little, you know, the little bow tie at the top of their head. Uh, Like the cats... Aristocats, Mary yes. and her mom, Duchess, maybe, maybe they're mm-hmm. calmed and have to ask them yes. their French. Yes. yes. But yeah, I mean, the cats in the Red Keep have different roles. Like we can see, they are mousers, but also the ladies' cats. Also, I have to note the Aria chasing cats thing just reminds me of whenever I have to get Totiki, my cat, into a like a carry into a carrier to get her somewhere i usually literally have to chase her <laughs> uh, she does not like being carried and put into stuff cannot imagine uh, why <laughs> no no mm-hmm. uh, it usually helps being two people actually to capture her <laughs> wow okay so uh i, I can relate to aria getting all scratched up trying to catch cats Oh, yeah, definitely. I think we all can. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, so do you remember who brought uh, cats into the Red Keep? Were they always there? Well, unfortunately, it was one of the few people who... It was one of the few good deeds of Otto Hightower. <laughs> the that only asshole. good deed? Possibly the only good deed, yeah. Uh, so... During the Dance of Dragons, um, there was the whole Blood and Cheese incident. Um, and after that, Otto was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't have human ma- mouse cat- mice catchers in the Red Keep. Let's bring in a load of cats instead. Yeah, I mean, good move, presumably. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. Um, so, um, I am extremely confused and disturbed that I'm going to use Otto Hightower as a historical parallel. I mean, fictional (laughs) parallel to historical history. Oh, anyway. So um, I was actually really surprised to discover that uh, originally cats were not mousers inside houses. As I said before, they're not pets. They're outside the house catching rats over there. Uh, And you know, during their cat life outside. Because since antiquity, they had been using weasels. So if you're not sure what a weasel is, and you only know it as the name of a character in Aswath and the shape of a phrase face, it's actually like a small animal. I don't know if they're, they're not rodents, they're like little carnivorous thingies. They look like a sausage, but very yes. flexible on four yes. legs with their little teeth, very sharp. So since antiquity, uh, the Romans had been, and then the French and so many other Europeans had been keeping them as mousers inside the house because for some reason they thought they were less bad than cats, except there came uh, the Black Death in the shape of the bubonic plague and people realized that rats were involved in the spread of the Black Plague and that, you know, weasels were not great to catch them. So they're like, oh, cats are actually pretty good. They should come inside the house to 
catch the rats inside the house as well as the mice. And this is how sometime during the 13th century, no, 1300, sorry, the cats came indoors. Now, uh, considering that the War of the Five Kings is a parallel to the War of the Roses, I don't know when the War of the Roses was because, you know, I'm French and why would I care about the English civil war, about like the stupid English throne? But what I know is that it's after the 100 Years' War. However, the Black Plague was during the 100 Years' War. So having cats inside the Red Keep makes perfect sense. Yes. Yes. Um, so I actually, to talk about real life again for a second, mm -hmm. no, did you have weasels in Sweden catching mice? Or is that something that not being part of the Roman Empire totally deprived you of, just like having Roman baths in the middle of town? Yes, we unfortunately do not have Roman baths. We didn't have weasels as mousers, but we had stoats, which are similar. Yeah. So we had those as mousers. And the Black Death thing is so interesting because the book I read, the author was like, oh, it's exaggerated that the cats came in after the Black Death. But I like the idea of them doing that. Um, yeah. Also, that author was like, people didn't realize rats were involved because they were just like, this is the a god punishing on us. Um, which, I mean, that makes sense. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, Mauser, cats as Mausers, uh, did catch on in popularity here after a while too, uh, when people were like, hey, stoats, uh, maybe not as good as cats. Because cats are great, so, you know, just yes. common sense. Also, also, like, rats are freaking huge. I get yeah. why weasels can't kill them. <laughs> I mean, rats are like twice the size of a weasel, meat shorter, yes. probably, but yeah. I mean, my mom's cat tried to fight a rat once, and he lost, so... <laughs> but you know, Berk tried his best. <laughs> he did, but the rat bit his nose. <laughs> and he got scared. Okay. Oh, poor, poor cat. Oh, yes. Okay, so back to SF. Yes, so we talked about some of the rats. Uh, we talked about some of the cats <laughs> of the Red Queen. That's so confused now. Okay, yeah. okay, as an aside, I asked my Greek former worker, hey, how do you say cat in Greek? Yes. There's a reason for that. It's coming later. And she said, rata, which sounds a lot like rat, especially if you say it in French, ra. Yeah. Rata, you know, that's why we're confused. But yeah, it's a cat. It's mm -hmm. not confusing in Swedish. Cat, yeah. cat is cat or rat is rotta. Very different. Yeah. Cat, rotta. So it's yeah, just the English right. language being bad again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so... Other cats in the Red Keep. I obviously have a favorite cat, at mm. least in the Arya era. Um, and that cat is described as this one, this one-eared black devil of a tomcat. That's the real king of the castle right there, one of the gold clerks had told her. Older than sin and twice as mean. One time the king was feasting at the queen's father and that black bastard hopped on the table and snatched a roast quail right over Lord Tywin's fingers. 
Robert laughed so hard he, he liked to burst. You stay away from that one, child. And it's obviously also my favorite. Obviously. Yes, yes, yes. And many people think this cat might be Balerian, who was the former cat of Princess Rhaenys, daughter of Rhaegar, before she was brutally murdered by Lannister forces. Period. <laughs> Um, and I mean, it makes sense that this cat would hate Lannisters because they killed his human. Yes. I mean, Amory Lord, she's who did the killing, but totally on behalf of the Lannisters. And mm -hmm. I, I store that in mind for I'm going to mention something mm. way later. <laughs> We're going yes. deep theories today. I love it. Yep. So, um, well, I've talked uh, a bit about cats and pets in general in the Middle Ages, but I wanted to move on specifically to Sweden and cats. Um, and in many ways, it, things were similar to the rest of Europe during the Middle Ages. Cats could be pets, uh, but they could also be working animals like mousers. Uh, sometimes one or two kittens in a litter would be kept as pets and the rest would be trained as mousers. And uh, mousers played a very important role on ships in particular. And different medieval laws actually note the cat's importance to keep vermin at bay. And in some places in Sweden, it was even a crime to not have a cat on your ship um, to hunt rats and mice. Good role. And uh, an exception to, to this was if the ship cat had died during the voyage, then you wouldn't be punished. But... You had to have a cat on board. No, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want, for several reasons, but you also just, you wouldn't want rats to eat your food if you're on a ship. Or to poop in your stores, like, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, I can't think of any instances of ship cats in Ace Wolf, but I might be forgetting something. Uh, you one would think that they would have cats on ships, though, like the Ironborn, but also all the merchants and pirates. Like they should have cats. They should, and um, you know, we've already figured out that Grim doesn't know much about cats because he thinks they're calmed. Mm. So clearly, that's an oversight. Uh, I'm totally gonna write him after we record. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We can't. We can't let him do this. No. No. Unacceptable. Did you want to talk some more about cat history? Oh, yes. Uh, so I, okay, again, I read this very same book and I was like, oh, let's not use it because it's not French. Because I can't do that. And also, uh, I read this totally unrelated book, I thought. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, the act of a, um, a seminary on Neolithic studies. So Neolithic is... A long time ago, studies mm -hmm. did very plainly. And in it, I found what? The date of when wildcats had been domesticated. So are you ready for some very ancient history here? Wildcats yes. were first domesticated before three, no, 8,300 BCE. So that's 10,300 years ago, before that, mm -hmm. by sedentary farmers in the Middle East. And before 2000 BCE by farmer shepherds in Egypt. Now, we all know that Egypt has a lot to do with cats. But hey, they definitely were not the first ones to domesticate it 
cat. God, I mm-hmm. can't say these words. Anyway, very interesting. But just why would you domesticate a cat and not let him in your house? Well, again, because you have uh, grains, because you're a yeah. farmer and you don't really want mice or rats in there. And the cats want what? They want to eat the rats and mice. So a uh, win-win situation. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome. Now, let's go to France in the Middle Ages. So I only really read and used one author because he's like one of the most important French uh, historians. His name is Michel Pastoureau, and he's a specialist of both bestiaries. So like animal, like the Brooks Medal of animals. No, lists of animals, mm-hmm. like an encyclopedia of animals from the Middle Ages. Okay. And of heraldry, which is like coat of arms and stuff, which totally goes together because usually there are animals on coat of arms. Mm-hmm. And then he became also a specialist of colors, which also works with heraldry, like it does make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have to say that a lot of his books have been translated into English, especially his books on colors. So there's like black, green, yellow, blue, white, I think I named them all. So there's separate books and there's one on stripes as well mm-hmm. called something like The Fabric of the Devil. Uh, and like, if you want to know anything really exciting about colors, but also just about medieval history in general and history in general. And these are fantastically gorgeous books. Like I'll open a random page of black and please note in everyone how beautiful this is. It is very beautiful. There's like a knight lounging on some grass looking very sexy uh, and then there's another knight on a horse looking down on him and I'm just I'm assuming they're lovers um maybe the point of this seems to be that he's not wearing black but gray and gray is okay very sexy color uh, uh. he's sexy come on <laughs> so anyway yes. yeah there's tons of illustrations and yeah all right anyway so that's me fangirling on Pesturo. But let us move on to his actual work. So, in a bestiary, which always involves images and text. So, uh, animal drawings, if you've ever seen any, you know they're a bit creative. Um, Mm -hmm. You may not really recognize the animal. Well, there's a very easy trick to recognize a cat. Usually, there's also a mouse or a rat in the picture. And you may think, but how do I recognize a rat or a mouse? A mouse. Well, usually there's also cheese to <laughs> attract the mouse. So if you see cheese and a small animal and a bigger animal, well, that's cheese and a mouse and a cat. Dang. Mm. <sighs> Best stories explained. Now, <laughs> what do they say about cats, apart from them not really looking like cats? Well... They say that they know of necromancy and witchery, like they have knowledge from these sciences, uh, and they know the future, but they say nothing and they pretend to be unaware of anything going to happen. However, they totally avoid accidents and catastrophes. Therefore, they are hypocrites. <laughs> they see at night, which is the characteristic of creatures from hell, mm-hmm. such as wolves, foxes, owls, or bats. And their little eyes shine in the dark and seem to burn like embers. Definitely evil. Uh, yes. They see in the dark again. Whereas, this is amazing, God wants good Christians to have their eyes closed at night so they sleep. The cats being really little rebellious creatures, 
Do you think they sleep at night? I mean, you have a cat, you know that is not happening. They do not sleep at night. They sleep during the day. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously they're evil, right? Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, together with goats, who are like the epitome of evil creatures, way worse than mm -hmm. cats, because they're so smelly. Blah. So they are the stars of a sorcerer's bestiary, besides the goats again. Because you see, cats are not just sly and cunning, which they also seem to be. Uh, they're often black and even more often striped, mm -hmm. which, yeah, you guessed it, it's totally the devil's thing. Uh, he does be a sucker for striped clothing and black creatures. Should totally read the books on that. They're fascinating. So the medieval idea of stripes being evil may or may not harken back to a certain reading of the Bible where clothing are prohibited from being mixed. But uh, the text doesn't really say mixed what. So it's commonly assumed that it's mixed material. So wool and silk can't be combined. But it could also just be don't mix colors. So don't mix stripes. Uh, and that seemed to have been an understanding of the Middle Ages. But there's also the thing about how medieval people would appreciate stuff to look at, and they're like, stripes ugly ass. Also, <laughs> that not respect the medieval ideal of how to structure an image. And I don't want mm -hmm. to dwell on it, but reading Pestuvo on that is just absolutely fascinating. So, cats tend to be somewhat striped, all of them. Like, it's actually, apart from one brand of cats, they're all striped, even if they look solid black or solid white or whatever. Um, so it, that's a bad start. Now, uh, yeah, the devil likes them. And people are, of course, also wary of ginger cats, because ginger, and spotted cats, because, you know, spots are almost as weird as tribes. Yes. But gray cats, they're okay, I guess. So that's one brand of cats that are okay. That's definitely not a majority. Uh, and now I want to tell you a quick story that is not from Pastoreau, but from a book I have, and I forgot to write where I took it from. Sorry, I read many, many years ago, and I really love it. So uh, somewhere in a village in the Middle Ages, there's um, the village is on one side of the river, and there's this one house on the other side of the river, and there's a bridge connecting them. The well is in the main side of town, and this old lady who lives on the other side of the river has to cross the bridge to go fetch water. But one day, there's a storm, and the bridge is destroyed. Now comes to her house this very dainty gentleman, who is, of course, the devil. Yes. And he tells her, like, hey, lady, I can totally fix the bridge if you agree to my contract. And the contract is that the first soul that crosses the bridge, I will collect it and live mm -hmm. with it. And the lady's like, ah, oh, shit, I kind of have to say yes. So she does. And so the devil builds the bridge anew, and she waits and waits and waits because he does not want, she doesn't want to cross the bridge. And she's really thirsty. But after three days, she sees a cat on the other side of the bridge, a black cat. She's like, she doesn't do that because she's French. She's like, meow, 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 chasha. I don't know, something French. And the cat crosses the bridge. And she's like, hey, hey, take that devil. And the devil has to live with the cat's mm. soul. And he's not super happy, but you know, 
he really wanted this lady so. But she's like, haha, now I can go get my water. And personally, I am sad for the cat. But um, also, I'm pretty sure the devil will be okay with him because, you know, it's a cat and the devil likes cats yeah. and he's black. So, mm. yes. Did you have anything like that? Uh, yeah, I had, uh, I read something about um, that kind of thing that in a lot of um, one of the books I read noted that cats very rarely appear, appeared in church paintings or like mur murals and such in churches um, other animals like dogs would often appear uh, but cats wouldn't because they were like cats devil <laughs> and uh, yeah like um, one of the books I read called Människan och faunan etnobiologi i Sverige uh, notes that among the animals that were close to humans the dog is well represented while the cat almost never appears in church iconography it was believed that since it could see in the dark the cat was allied with the devil and that's my translation so yeah like you said seeing in the dark super suspicious must be allied with the devil yeah and also just Black cats are associated with bad luck in general. Oh, yeah. There's a thing, a Swedish superstition that kind of exists until today that if you see a black cat crossing the street, you have to spit over your shoulder three times. Yeah, we don't spit. I'm not sure why, but that's a thing. Okay. There, um, but it, but it's also interesting because the book I read noted that while the cat could symbolize bad luck, it could also sort of be the opposite. The, the cats could symbolize happiness and peacefulness. And it was believed that if you had a house where a cat liked living, that house would experience happiness and health. But if the cat didn't like living at the house, the household would experience quarrels and fights. So you, you got to keep the cat happy. Exactly. And hmm. Fair enough. Yes. So do you want to hear good things about cats now in the Middle Ages? Yes, please. Yes. Uh, because Pastor also notes that there are positive traits that medieval people find about cats. Because, uh, for instance, they call it a virtue. That's really great. So uh, they're super clean. Cats are always washing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and that in spite of being adverse to water. Unlike dogs who love water and everything that stinks and they even run around in poop and like they're disgusting animals. Now, uh, cats, they stay away from any source of stench and definitely don't roll around in it. And they bury their poop, which actually is very funny. Um, I saw some, that somewhere it's an explanation for why cats and dogs are always fighting like they're enemies, right? Mm. Not to fight like cats and dogs. And that would be because dogs love some like whatever stings whereas cats are super clean which medieval people appreciate in them another very important virtue uh, of the cats is that their female is not luxurious so as in lustful i guess i should have said um mm. so she does not really want to copulate she however she does mew very loudly for it when she's in heat but that's not because she wants the pleasure of copulation it's because she wants babies and she even yells in pain during sex with the male cat. Uh, she's okay. a wonderful mother who just wants babies and she does love her kittens. She cares for them and she protects them from predators. 
actually famously so. Now, I just love how they anthropotize cats. Yeah, women, you should not like having sex. You should even probably not enjoy it at all. It should hurt. It's fine as long as you have mm -hmm. babies and love them. Uh, mm, but you know what? You know, cats, as you might have understood, they're not docile, cute, little creatures. And approaching them can be quite dangerous if you want to touch them, especially like rub their bellies. Mm, your mm -hmm. hands may not have a great time. Uh, the belly is a trap. The belly is very commonly a trap. Uh, so Pastor shares a tale that I found is amazing by a predicator and theologian from the 1230s. So way before cats came into the house. Uh, one day, mice had an assembly to figure out how to protect themselves from the cat. The wisest of them, mice, said to tie a bell to the cat. Which, you know, that would help them hear the cat come and flee in time. Sounds smart. And everyone thinks it's a great idea. But then this one shy mouse asks, Oh, who is going to attach the bell to the cat? And all the mice agree that, uh, yeah, no, not me. And there we have what seems to be an old, um, like middle French saying that to tie, no, attach a bell to the cat represents a task that was suicidal and that no one wanted to do or something. But yeah, I mean, that definitely would have helped these little mice. I like mice. Mm -hmm. Not inside my house, though. So. As mentioned earlier, people started inviting cats indoor once they realized they could actually be weaponized against threats and the Black Death. That's uh, certainly a very nice status rise uh, that we witness here. And uh, what happens right after the Middle Ages is what we call the modern period, which is not the contemporary period. Please follow with me. So the modern times in France at least goes from approximately the year five, um, no, 1500 to approximately the French Revolution in 1789, officially, that's when it starts. So that's the Renaissance is in there, yes, but it's not all of it. Uh, so during the modern period, cats have a much better status, obviously. And even famously smart intellectuals, such as Michel de Montaigne, noted how great cats were and how cute and fun um, although he does also notice that they play with their prey before eating it. And Montaigne is not super sure what to think of it, but I'm like, it's okay. I know you like cats because he had cats that he loved. So mm. I, I guess he didn't hate it. It's okay. Anyway. And on a very quick heraldry note, so coat of arms, basically, I tried so hard to find cats on coat of arms. Turns out there's only four families we use them. It's ridiculous. And I'm not talking four French families, I'm talking four families in Western Europe. Um, because cats, yeah, again, associated with the devil. Terrible, terrible. However, there were cats on crests, and the crest is what's on top of the coat of arm, like the little topper thingy, the hat, whatever. And um, sometimes because of the name of the family that sounded something cat related or whatever, whatever story, but yeah, you won't find cats on coat of arms. You may find them around the coat of arm, and I am very sad, but kind mm. of happy to still find them somewhere. Ugh. It's hard to be a cat in the Middle Ages. 
Anyway, Flo, what would you like to add to this? I think it's super interesting, just the different connotations of cats and stuff. And the thing you said about sexuality reminded me of something I read in the Medieval Pets book that I didn't include in the in my notes, so I just have to bring it out. Um, yeah. Cool picture. So, yes. Yeah. The cover of the book is very nice. We have to post a picture of it, I think. Yes. So... Uh, in the book, it says, In Chaucer's The Mancibal's Tale, the wildness of the domestic cat is underlined and compared to a wife, both being captives and lustful. While an owner might spoil a cat with milk and meat and give it silk bedding, it is still wild at heart and could easily leave such luxuries behind in order to catch a mouse. Yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, women, always wild at heart. Aren't we? Uh, uh, but speaking of women who are wild at heart, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to talk a bit about Norse mythology. Actually, I'm going to start with the one who's not really about a woman. Um, but there's uh, there's some cats in Norse mythology, and I thought it would be interesting to talk about that. Uh, so, the first instance, um, also just a disclaimer, I'm going to say the names of people in Swedish because not doing that is weird in my brain. Is I'm going to say it in Swedish and English at first, so yeah. you can uh, people can understand. Okay, so in this story, Thor, four, meets a cat uh, while in the ha- hall of Utgarda Loki. Utgarda Loki. Uh, so basically, Thor and Loki, uh, Loki, the regular Loki. Uh, and Thor's servants, Charle and Röskva, are on a trip to Jotunheim, which is the land of the, gi- the giants. And I'm guessing people know who Thor and Loki are <laughs> in Norse mythology, but just if you don't, Thor is the god of thunder and generally a formidable fighter. And Loki is like half giant, half god, a trickster, great at shape-shifting, uh, he's sometimes on the side of the gods and sometimes he's not. <laughs> and there's also a lot of interesting gender stuff going around. Oh, yeah. On with him. And uh, I think I'm going to touch on that a bit later. So anyway, Thor and Loke and the servants are on a trip to Jotunheim. And a bunch of things happen on the trip. But eventually they arrive at a fortress called Utgård, where the giant Utgård and Loke reigns. And Utgårda Loke challenges the guests to various games slash sports um, so that they can show that they're the best at this sport. And one of the challenges uh, presented to Thor is to lift Utgårda Loke's house cat. Since, you know, Thor is super strong, he should easily be able to lift a cat, right? Obviously. Yes. Uh, Well, he fails at this and his companions fail at their different challenges as well. And it's revealed that the giants have tricked them all in various ways. So in Thor's case, he thought he was lifting a regular house cat, but he was in fact trying to lift Midgård's Ormen, the Midgard serpent, who, which is like the snake surrounding all of Midgård, the realm of the humans. So it's a big ass snake. Um, and it's diffi- difficult to lift this snake. <laughs> and... Um, this the, the serpent had been made to look like a small little cat for magic and trickery. Um, and as the author of the book I was reading that mentioned this, 
said this is an example of how tra- cats are often seen as some sort of tricksters. Yeah. And in this book called Cattens Historia, it's noted that the cat possessed and possesses a freedom that no other pet possessed. It was allowed to be out late at night and was welcome in women's laps. This freedom creates uncertainty, maybe maybe envy. Um, that's my translation of it. And it falls on this uh, tri- tricky cat. Well, cats being tri- tricksters, I'm totally going to talk on that. But uh, cats being serpents, I have to say, is a lot more mm-hmm. unexpected. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, this serpents is... are also tricky. That's also yeah. a thing with serpents, that they are tricky. Tricky. Well, I mean, Adam and Eve yes. kind of proved that point, I suppose. But uh, interesting. Okay. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally picture yeah. so, Paul trying to leave this little kitty cat and he... Yes, it's very funny. If you, uh, For those of you who like Neil Gaiman, he's, um, he has the book Norse Mythology, um, where he basically... Yeah, he he recounts different Norse myths, but with a like game and humor to it often. Uh, and he the sto- this story is in that book, and it's very very funny. Like you're laughing at Thor being like, "I can't lift the thing," and it's it's very funny. Yeah. Um. So another example of cats in Norse mythology is the cats that pull Freya's car- carriage. And for those who don't know, uh, Freya, she's the goddess of fertility, but she's also proficient, proficient, proficient in magic and prophecy. Is it? Uh, in, in some tales, she's the one who teaches Odin. 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 I can't. Those are very similar, actually. Odin. 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 Okay. Uh, Freya teaches Odin, the all-father magic. And... Um, Besides being able to do magic in general, she is also specifically able to turn into a bird. And uh, Freya also has a darker side to her. She's also the goddess of war, and half of those who die in battle end up in her realm, um, the sacred meadows of Folksvang. So people might be aware that um, in Norse uh, society, people believe that that people who died in battle uh, got especially honorable deaths. Half of them end up in Valhalla, which is where Odin lives, and half of them end up in Folksvang, which is Freya's realm. Oh. So she's she's really cool. Um, she's often very associated with sexuality, uh, but what's clear in basically all the stories is that she made her own damn decisions about her sex life. There's a lot of stories about various people wanting to marry her or kidnap her or making some sort of deal to marry her or whatever. Uh, but if she's not, if she doesn't want to marry them or have sex with them, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So uh, I, I like her. her a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that and she has also cats. Cats. Yes. Cats. Yeah. I'm a bit uh, disappointed. She's not crazy, and I mm-hmm. can't call her a crazy cat lady. But she's a cat no. lady. That's enough. She's for a my cat happiness. lady. Yeah, actually, uh, the word, the name Freya is probably the, um, uh, like related to the word for uh, wife or mistress, like mistress of the house. Uh, so, like, 
the the person oh, woman owning a house and ruling a house. Uh, so that's fru in uh, contemporary Swedish. No, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so yes, basically her name is is sort of lady. Um, what's my point with that? <laughs> um, yes. So uh, like I mentioned, uh, Freya has a carriage that is being pulled by cats. And some researchers speculate that this myth is associated with the general archetype of the Great Mother, who at the beginning of history is sat on a lion throne. I was a bit confused by this. Try to Google it. It's some young shit, uh, like, you know, the psychoanalysis. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not going to go in- even more no. into this. But like, that's the that kind of archetype, a Jungian archetype. Um... Yeah, and uh, like uh, there are other goddesses in various mythology who are also associated with felines, um, and that's related to this archetype, uh, mm-hmm. according to Jung, at least. Um, another theory is that uh, the the part of the mythology about Freya having a carriage pulled by cats comes from Christian times. Uh, the text that mentions the cats have been dated to the 900s when Christianization had started uh, in Scandinavia. And this would be a way for the church to sort of compromise the eroticism of the older religion. by move- So instead of her being erot- erotic, she's associated with cats who are erotic. So the eroticism is moved, sort of separated from her to her attributes instead. Um, okay. Which I don't know, but th- that's what the book said. Interesting, especially considering what I just said about cats having sex, but not for the pleasure of it because it hurts for making babies. Uh, yes. But I don't know about early Swedish Christians. Maybe they thought cats were sexy. Also, maybe we should clarify that. Uh, the cats that were pulling the wagon were probably not little kitty cats, but more like Maine Coon-sized wild yeah. cats. Which yeah, there's there are the Norwegian forest cats, yeah, uh, which is they're, they're big. Sweden mm. doesn't have any cats that um, that re- like uh, domesticated cats that uh, live in Sweden. There used to be wild cats, but those don't mm. exist anymore. Uh, similar to the ones in the UK, so the only like um, the only wild cat we have at, in Sweden uh, is me, the lynx. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, lynx, beautiful. Have you seen the cute little yes. ears with their fluffy? Yes, I love the cute little ears. Uh, but yeah, we don't have any uh, <laughs> Swedish ra- breed of cat. Um, but the Norwegians do, they have the first cat. Uh, well, maybe you used to have it too, but then for some reason they all migrated to Norway because, I don't know, cheese? Yeah. yeah. They wanted they... the brunost. I mean, it's good. I like it. Um, you can't mm-hmm. eat it the way you would eat French cheese, but no. um, definitely don't do that. Don't try it at home. Uh, it's... It's it's good. I like it. So it's good. maybe mice like it too, and the uh, cats want the mice. You know, remember the story. So yes, sorry if you need more cheese. Yeah. Uh, well, 
this is just uh, this was an one example of a goddess being related to both caste and sexuality, which um, is interesting when you think about Aeswaf, uh, because we do have a cat yes. goddess in Aeswaf. Yes, uh, and um, that's the Lysini goddess Pantera. Um, and we don't know too much about the goddess herself, except that she's a six-breasted cat goddess. And one of the people known to worship her was Lara Rogare, who was the Lucini wife of King Viserys II, so the uh, the youngest child of Rhaenyra. Uh, and um, Lara moved to King's Landing with her husband, who was then Prince Viserys, after the Dance of the Dragons, and she brought many Lucini customs with her, and she also brought a lot of members of her family with her. And based on what it says in Fire and Blood, it seems that she never really assimilated to Westerosi culture. Uh, it's mentioned that she never learned the common tongue and she kept the gods of her homeland, which included Pantera, but also Yindris of the Twilight, Bacalon, and Sagel. Sagel? Yeah. And um, I wanted to say something briefly about Yindris of the Twilight, because super interesting god. <laughs> um and when you hear what I have to say about it, you will understand why I think it's super interesting. Oh. Very on brand for me. So apparently, Yindras of the Twilight uh, was male by day and female by night. And uh, their acolytes could supposedly transform themselves from male to female and female to male while having sex. Oh, of course. What do you think about this god? Cool, right? It's a snail. Because snails can also <laughs> change their sex. That's yeah. Snails can change. Also, different fish can do that as well. There, yes. there actually is a fish that um, that does this basically. Like there'll be two fish, fish, fish. There will be two <laughs> fish, and they'll have sex with each other. And at first, one will produce sperm to the egg, and then they'll switch. Okay. So the one producing sperm will produce eggs. Like they'll switch while having sex. It's super cool. Source for this is Dr. Joan Roughgarden, who's written about uh, evolution's rainbow or something the article is called. Okay. Uh, so yes, fish do do this in real life. So weird. <laughs> so weird. The, but also... The world is sex real. Sex is made up. Sex binary is made up and gender is fake. Oh, completely. So, back to Lara Rogada. Um, the people of King's Landing weren't big fans of her, mostly because xenophobia, uh, but also, like, she didn't really mingle with the people. She was yeah. just, like, hanging out in the castle and uh, doing her own thing. She had Lysini servants. She worshipped Lysini gods. Uh, so people were like, she's weird and foreign. We don't like her. And apparently, a lot of cats would be see come, seen coming and going from her chambers, which led to the rumor that she was using these cats as spies. Is it? Um, and some people even said that she could transform into a cat. And uh, then other people took that a step further due to her worship of Yindras of the Twilight and said she would transform into a man and as such would w visit the brothels in the city. Of course. Um, of course. As soon as you have a dick, you go and use it. Yes, yes. But uh, also, I will note that the this kind of thing is suggested by in um, in A Feast for Crows uh, when um, 
uh, Tana Merriweather uh, says to Cersei, oh, hey, I know this alchemist. He can transform you into boy and we can go have fun. Uh, of course. So also an Eastern woman suggesting something weird with gender and sexuality and weird in quotes, um, etc. So yeah, uh, I, I definitely think there's a level of Orientalism to this with uh, mm-hmm. uh, the sexualization of her. Clearly. Uh, but also cats. Love it. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna go into Lara's whole life story, but basically, she was pretty hated by the people of Westeros for largely xenophobic reasons, but also just like she, she was perceived as aloof and uh, mm. not relatable. But yeah, people didn't trust her because she worshipped foreign gods, and she was very associated with cats, but also the weird gender and sexuality stuff. And Liz, in general, uh, where she's from, is um, very associated with sexual stuff. They have their pleasure gardens and pillow houses and such. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of Orientalism going on there with how that place is perceived. Uh, I am going to abstain from explaining why Liz, L-Y-S, Brothers and France are definitely associated, but... Yeah, mm-hmm. that's another layer. Yep. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, so once again, we have this associ- association between cats, female sexuality, magic, shape-shifting, stuff. Yes, so much stuff. Any thoughts? Uh, not at the moment. I think not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, well, I wanted to touch on one more thing related to like Swedish folklore stuff. I mentioned how cats are generally seen as being associated with bad luck and with the devil. And um, uh, of course, like I think we already maybe mentioned that cats are also associated with witches and magic, Mm -hmm. which is associated with the devil. And I wanted to bring everyone a fun Swedish folklore tradition thingy. Uh, related to this. Um, so, um, in Sweden, uh, on Holy Thursday, which is the first day of uh, the Easter week, uh-huh. uh, it's called Hvartorsta in Swedish. I have no idea why. Anyway, uh, on this first day, uh, according to Swedish folklore, witches fly to Blåkulla, which is an island outside a uh, mythological island, but uh, po- possibly... Pl- uh, based on a real island. But anyway, Blåkulla, an island, they fly to Blåkulla, and on Blåkulla, the devil, uh, according to uh, folklore, held his earthly court during the uh, the witch's Sabbath. So basically, big party, all of the witches having sex, possibly with each other, but definitely with the devil. And just Mm. a lot of sex going on. uh, And Mm -hmm. the devil having a party. Uh, and witches would often use brooms to make their flight to Blokula, uh, you know, as as witches do. But they could also bewitch various farm animals, uh, like cows and stuff, to fly but- to Blokula. But cats, especially black cats, would voluntarily join them on their uh, on their vacation to Blokula. <laughs> of course. Uh, also, magpies, uh, as in the birds, you know, the black and white. Uh, birds yeah they would also be like hey we also want to go on this trip with you 
so cats and magpies would go on the trip voluntarily <laughs> and party uh, with the devil and have and I'm not surprised by uh, the magpies association here. Yeah. yeah. So they, again, they don't have uh, the best trip. Yeah. No, no. So yeah, again, magic, sexuality, the devil, stuff, women not ap- behaving appropriately. Uh, and again, connection to Freya as well, who could uh, do magic and was associated with cats and sexuality and uh, also birds, because you could turn into a bird. Yeah. I mean, Fre- uh, Freya could turn into a bird herself, so she yes. also had cats. It all comes back together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to expand a bit on this whole magic, cats, gender, sexuality stuff. Mm-hmm. Especially talk a bit about Arya. As I uh, warned at the beginning of the episode, I'm unfortunately going to get into Arya and gender stuff. Apologies to Chloe uh, and Carm. Uh, so uh, Arya is, of course, very associated with cats, both in yeah. the Red Keep and later in Bravos. And um, also she hangs out with a cat a bit in Harrenhal at one point. Uh, yeah. So a lot of cats in Arya. Um, and at one point she takes up the name cat cat of the canals when she's in bravos and she skin changes cats while in bravos as well and um, like i mentioned above cats are often associated with people who in some ways move beyond the permitted boundaries of gender in their society like women who are too sexual for instance uh, or lara rogare who could apparently uh, shapeshift into uh, what shapeshift? I don't know. Uh, change her body into a male body. Yeah, that's shapeshifting. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, so there, there's something gender queer going on with people being associated with cats. And Arya, of course, uh, also has a very fluid gender in some ways. She moves between different gender positions in society. Uh, she passes as a boy several times, and she's a tomboy in general. Uh, I've written lots about this in various essays, if people want to read more about it. So it's I think it's interesting that she's associated with cats. And cats in shape-shifting is also an interesting thing to look at. Like I mentioned, in Norse mythology, cats are c- connected with shape-shifting and trickery. And... Uh, with the serpent being Midgard serpent being a cat, etc. And of course, the main trickster in Norse mythology is Loke, uh, yeah. who is a well-known shapeshifter and perhaps has some attributes in common with Arya. And like I mentioned, uh, his whole gender is very interesting. Um, yeah. He's He's there's one story where he transfer transforms into a mare, and while being a mare, he gets pregnant and gives uh, birth to the the horse Sleipnir, uh, who has eight legs, and uh, who then becomes Odin's uh, mount. And just Loki is very queer, and a lot of modern interpretations of Loki has acknowledged this. Um, for instance, uh, in the uh, Magnus Chase novels by Rick Riordan, or in um, Ragnarok, the Netflix show, but also in the recent Marvel 
uh, adaptions of Loki. There's a lot of genderqueer stuff going on. Um, and I think there's something interesting about uh, that because Loki is, he's a trickster and his ability to shapeshift is often seen as very suspicious. And I mean, th- th- there's something there about the gender stuff and the shapeshifting and trickery stuff because I mean often in our own times today trans people are seen as deceivers or as if we trick people by um, by not identifying with the gender we were assigned at birth um, and this unfortunately often le- a lot of time leads to violence because people yeah. are like you're tricking me I'm gonna kill you for it Especially when it comes to sexualized violence, for instance, against trans women, uh, where people are like, you're tricking me because you're saying you're a woman, but you were born with a penis. So uh, trickery, bad, uh, etc. So I think there's something there about shape-shifting being associated to gender queerness and also trickery that's interesting. And I think it also ties back to Arya, who's a gender non-conforming person in a lot of ways and also is kind of learning to become an assassin which is a form of trickery i guess if i may interrupt you i just had yes an epiphany the one time she's actually tricky that's when she does the weasel soup thing in her yes. and and in weasel soup you might notice the word weasel yes which is as we know now the um not ancestor, but you know what was used before cats were used to mm-hmm. hunt mice inside the um, dwellings, and therefore I think this all ties up. Maybe George did know yes. something after all. Yes, I also uh, since we're talking about Norse stuff and gender, I have to mention um, Seidr, uh, which is uh, yeah queer magic. Well, it's magic, but it's associated with queerness. We talked about witches who are often associated with cats and how they do gender and sexuality incorrectly, according to society. Uh, And then we have Arya, who is also associated with cats and with magic. So, yeah, I I have to mention Seidr. So, uh, Seidr exists as a concept in Norse mythology and is a form of magic. And as I mentioned previously, Freya taught it to Odin. And some sources note that this is kind of this kind of makes him be perceived as a bit queer uh, because Sidr is kind of feminine as magic. So him doing him as a man doing this magic is like what you 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 as a man can't be doing this, uh, even if he's super powerful and respected. It's still like. Kind of weird that you're doing magic, dude. Um, but Sid also existed in real life. I mean, I guess real life Sid didn't have said their practitioners didn't have as many powers as Odin, but people would practice it. Um, <laughs> so in real life, it could probably mostly be described as magic ritual or shamanic ritual. And some people have argued that at least some, if perhaps not all, said the practitioners held some sort of liminal gender position in society, uh, partially outside the male and female bin- binaries. 
And this seems to be reflected in some of the burials of Sidr practitioners, uh, with individuals buried with a mix of feminine and masculine grave goods. And that these individuals are buried with these items in what what is often very elaborate and seemingly fought through burials in also indicate that their contemporaries recognize their liminal gender position. So again, magic, gender, queerness stuff, very connected and very interesting. And so I really think that Arya doing magic and skin changing cats really works well with her also being gender nonconforming. Like it parallels history in a very in some very interesting ways. Oh yeah, completely. I love Arya and I really want her to be okay, which she's not. Mm-hmm. But um I find her even more interesting as a character when you look into like actually analyzing her because of things like this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um so what do you have to what stories do you have to bring? Um, so I tried to find some cats associated with French folklore. Because as you might know, we do not really have anything called French mythology. Mm-hmm. We had this little Christianization happening very early and sweeping everything yes. else away. So, um, you know, however, and I also didn't want to get into any grim things. So no grim cat stories and there would be many. So <laughs> fuck that. I looked into literature because, oh man, do we have cats in literature and um i thought that was way more interesting so i tried to figure out what is the first story written about a cat and like with a main character that's a cat because that would be different otherwise and that would be le chaboté which is in english name no known as can't speak uh puss in boots yay okay sure it was kind of based off an Italian story, but you know, still French, <laughs> uh, by Charles Perrault, who also gave us a bunch of um, stories that were totally adapted in cinema by Disney, but uh, whatever. So Perrault, in 1697, um, when the King of France at the time was Louis XIV, wrote, so Puss in Boots, where a cat uses his brain, very smart brain, trickster brain okay to help his human rise in society and actually does nothing mean very good cat uh, and the first book that's the book all about cats like cats are the main topic of the book i have to read the full title because it's wonderful um such a 1727 so 1727 i should have said uh title Histoire des chats, dissertation sur la prééminence des chats dans la société, sur les autres animaux d'Égypte, sur les distinctions et privilèges dont ils ont joué personnellement. Yeah, it was long. <laughs> so, History of Cats, a dissertation on the preeminence of cats in society, on other animals from Egypt, I don't know why, for why not, uh, on, the dis- on the distinctions, like the privileges and privileges, I guess, that they have personally enjoyed. I love that cats personally enjoy privileges. Awesome. Yes. So that uh, book, uh, written by François-Augustin Paradis de Montcliffe, um, 
was likely published because he liked cats, fair enough, but mostly because the king of France of the time was Louis XV. And him and his wife, who was Polish, bear that in mind, we, they loved cats. They were, are you ready, allogophiles. I asked an actual English speaker, how do you say this word? She said, I don't know. So, allogophiles, <laughs> and that is the official word for cat lovers, the one that ends in yeah. file, because if you say cat file, that doesn't mean anything. And catophile, mm. cataphile, cataphile mm. means you like the catacombs, which is not the same thing. So mm. anyway, Louis XV was a cat guy, which, um, you know, cool. So in the book, I brushed through it, didn't read the whole thing, but I thought it was really cool that uh, the author included various poems about cats that were older than the book itself that he was writing, obviously. Otherwise, he could not have included books, uh, poems from the future. So anyway, some of them were centuries old, and that was hilarious, because if you don't speak French, you don't know that. But um, even back in the day, a female cat, so French cat is chat, female cat is chat. So even back centuries ago, uh, chat was not necessarily a cat. Because yes, just like in English, a pussy, pussycat, is not necessarily a cat. Same applies to female cats in French. And the one poem was just hilarious. But if you read it first degree, it was like, oh man, this guy really likes his black female cat, actually. No, no, Mm -hmm. no. Uh, Anyway, I thought that was funny. And that actually made me, that reminded me of Cyril Forel, who, you know how he gets his job as the first lord of Bravos, is when the sea lord is like uh, interviewing potential mm-hmm. hirelings, and he's like, look at my beautiful pussy cat. She's very beautiful and sweet. And Cyril is like, he is a fucking tomcat. And so mm-hmm. I see that Cyril got the job of first sword, which is a huge deal because mm-hmm. he can see the difference between a pussy and a cat. Anyway, yes, I'm very proud of him. Mm-hmm. But back to our bookish cat lover from the 1700s. Um, and actually what he taught me of um, the King of France. So Louis XV, I already thought that he was the least worst of the French kings of that century, mm-hmm. because come on, he's right in the middle of Louis the Fourteenth, you know, son king guy, and Louis the Sixteenth, you know, chop chop head guy. But now I'm like, oh, he's so cute. I'm totally picturing him at the castle with his little wife playing with kittens like poor yes. man who has his serpents and boots and lady whiskers and he loves them so much and Cersei thinks it's weak but fuck Cersei she's terrible and now I really like Louis the 15th that's a new thing for me um also I want to get back quickly on something um about Balerion that we mentioned yes. earlier that he's a black cat and he's seen as being like the little devil locally. And Tomen, mm-hmm. who is a very pure and innocent child, uh, says that Sir Pounce, like the, he said the bad cat came to the window or whatever, and Sir Pounce hissed at him and the cat ran away. 
So the bad cat definitely has to be the same Valerian black cat, right? And um, I'll just go back to black cats being so heavily associated with the devil. Valerian, the devil, he's already associated poor cat. And uh, so King Tommen was protected by his, um, I don't know, loyal knight, Mm -hmm. Sir Pounce, the kitten. Yes. um, To protect him away, like off from the devil who, remember, yes. has a grudge against Lannisters, which Tommen very much is. And so I suppose that that means Tommen will survive the bridge. Yes. That is extremely, extremely deep analysis. Um, you heard it here first. I mean, also, so Beleriand is Beleriand the Black Dread, the, da- the dragon, mm-hmm. named after him. And Drogon is said to be Beleriand come again. Yes. So, by logic of association, Tommen will not be killed by Drogon. Correct. Yes. Yes, because Sir Pounce is totally going to protect him. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Sir Pounce is obviously, obviously, the hero of the story. It just Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's a, a Sora High. Haven't you seen the, the YouTube video that says that Sir Pounce is a Sora High? <laughs> no, but I have to find it. Oh, God. Okay. Um, it's a very hmm. serious video. I bet. Uh, also, I totally... I am a serpent stan, you know. Uh, yes. he, he can't have too many. Like, we need to rise uh, to the calling of being a mm-hmm. serpent. Um, not apologies, because he obviously never did anything wrong. But, no. like, mm, yeah, serpents. So, anyway, <laughs> if I may move on. Do you have anything yes. you want to add? Yes. Okay, so talking of Balerion, let's go back to Arya chasing him and the other cats yes. in the castle, uh, the Red Keep. So as a French speaker, I don't know if all French speakers will have this experience. Huh, you don't ask. Anyway, in France, definitely. When kids say at school, we run after each other and we play what is in English called tag, like you run mm-hmm. after someone, uh, everyone and you touch them and say hey, tag okay that's boring mm-hmm. in French we run after the other kids and when we touch one we say cat now you're cat I caught you just like what Arya is doing mm-hmm. she's catching the actual cats amazing so <laughs> she's just playing cats which you might also refer to as playing tag which does not make sense when she's doing it with cats so the whole yes Plotline of Arya chasing cats makes way better sense in French than it does in English. Yes. I really wanted to make that clear. <laughs> so yes, um, some kids also play that. Um, I mean, some regions they call it to play wolf, but hmm. no one catches a wolf. That doesn't make sense. No, they're too big, too big. So playing cat and just because I thought it's fun, you can also play it up instead of the kid. Becoming cat, which means he's the one who's now chasing mm-hmm. others. He can become frozen. So frozen cat is that game. Yes, we had that too. Of course, in Sweden you would, because you're frozen. <laughs> and but we also but have in, another I, one. In our version, like you can become frozen, but then there's other people. So there's like one person who runs around freezing people, and yeah. then there's other people running around unfreezing people. Ah, no, we don't freeze anymore. I mean, we freeze, we don't unfreeze. But if we play the version that's called Chaperche, so perched cat, 
as long as you're on top of something, like say, um, like French uh, schoolyards, there's probably a tree with roots sticking out extremely safe. So if you perch on top of a root, you can't become cat. Like you're like a bird, the cat can't catch yeah, you. Yeah, we have a similar version of that too. Uh, yeah. So cats. Uh, so I thought, you know, while we're here, I might as well go over mm-hmm. a few of our cat sayings or cat idioms. We have way many, but let's just go for a few. Donner sa langue When you don't know the answer to a question, you can give your tongue to the cat. Mm-hmm. And that means, I don't know. It's very cool. Isn't so. that in English too? The ca- cat cat oh, no, your the tongue? cat eats your tongue. But that's when you don't speak anymore. That doesn't necessarily mean mm. you don't know the answer to something. Maybe you don't yeah. want to answer something. So, no, in French, it's just, I don't know. The cat ate my tongue. Uh, and actually, langue de chat, so cat's tongue, is a kind of biscuit. Uh, very nice to dip in tea. We, we like to dip stuff in liquids. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Um, Another one would be when the cat is not here, the mice dance. I think they have something similar in English. They probably all do, but you know, I like it. I can see little the mice dancing. What? Say it again, it's so cute. <laughs> the cat is dancing. I, I missed what the cat is doing, but when I mean, the yes, cat on the is table, away, yeah. The rats dance on the I table. Love how specific it is that they're on the table. That's my favorite yes. part. Okay. They're eating the food on the table. Well, that think. makes sense. All right. So that's all I want to touch on for sayings. Um, now, please know that there are way too many cat um, related stories in popular media in France for me to name them all. Like, I'm not going to get there. But there's one I really want to mention because mm-hmm. she, he, Cat uh, liked one of our tweets, and to me that is a personal high of my life. Yes. Uh, so uh, this cat is called Certalian Cats, and it's a French cat, and she's black and white. She kind of looks like um, Tutiki, mm-hmm. and her ma, her human is a um, professor of uh, very smart things, a specialist of the translation of the Hebrew Bible into French. I, but it sounds mm-hmm. terrible, but it's actually, she's so fucking amazing. And mm-hmm. a whole academic paper has been written on cat, it, uh, okay, French cat internet language. Oh. And uh, Suzerlin Katz was actually like the star of this paper because the way she writes which I would not bother translating, like that would take forever, um, is absolutely fantastic. And she's inspired so many other cat accounts uh, on how to speak. And it's mm-hmm. just so absolutely cool. So yes, uh, I can has cheeseburger, you know, the English stupid cat talk. French cats do it better. <laughs> um, but now, do we want to talk about the funniest, the, the best, the most amazing literature cat of the Middle Ages yes. in France, because thank you, I want to talk about him. His name is Tibère, and he's really cool. Um, so I actually already mentioned the story stories he's from. So he's from Le Roman Renard, which I mentioned mm-hmm. in episode two about uh, Bastard, saying that this is one of the books where you would expect to find Bastard as an insult if Bastard was an insult, considering there are Best arts as characters and a lot of insults flying around in this book. 
Uh, and then you know no insult. Okay, so Le Roman de Renard, as I had not said at the time, is the story of a fox who does a lot of things. Uh, that, like, his name is Renard. And I have to say that this story, stories, are so absolutely important in French cultural history that the word for fox changed from goupil to renard, which is the name of the character. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we are with really a very important part of French culture here. Uh, that was written, like it's a compilation of texts written between the 1175 and 1250. So we are way before cats were little pets. Okay. So renard has a frenemy whose name is Tibert, and he's a great cat with sharp claws. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, you know, very smart, very cunning, and he's nimble and a bit wild. And at times, he's just as artful and devious as Renard, sometimes even, mm-hmm. frankly, diabolical. Like, actually, Renard gets tripped over you know, a couple of times. And, but um should be said that gray cats were actually the ones liked most. So it was not bad. Like, it's okay. Uh, and I really have to show you pictures. Are we ready? Yes. So we're going to share them because they're way too good not to be shared. So this is one manuscript. That's what it oh, looks no. like. So you can see in the little images here, um, yes. you, you can't really tell. But the white thingy, it looks white, but it's probably thought to be yeah. gray, is Tiber, and the other one is the fox, okay? Uh, yes. And now, let's look at this very same story, but they aggregated the illustrations, so it really looks like a comic book. <laughs> Just so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's so fun. That, exactly. So it really describes the action of the story. I am going to quickly tell the story of, like, this one tale. So... Uh, Renard is chasing hands as he would and um, he kind of has to run away because knights are coming and a priest is with them or is coming the other way anyway. And so he runs and he finds Tiber and somehow tells Tiber, hey, let's go get the hands from memory. And Tiber's like, okay, sure. But then the knights are there again. And so he climbs the tree because mm-hmm. he can do that. He's a cat. And uh, Renard runs away and then dogs come because they're hunters with dogs and the poor cat is stuck in the tree but then this priest arrives with his horse and he's a dumb priest who does not uh, attach his horse to anything and so the cat is like all right let me say some shit and get the priest Mm -hmm. to come close and dismount the horse so i can steal the horse and run away (laughs) which he does very smart. And then he finds a renard and it's really funny. What happens is really funny, but I'm not going to tell you all the details. And then anyway, so he, renard climbs on the back of the horse with the cat leading the horse, which is amazing. And mm-hmm. then they go to town to say the mass that the priest was supposed to say. Mm-hmm. And they sing it and it's great. And so the cat plays the role of the priest. And the fox is helping him, totally Mm -hmm. normal. Uh, Then the fox finds a way to get the cat in trouble by getting him to attach himself to the bells when uh, ringing them. 
So the people of the village find him and things don't go too well for the poor cat. But how many times in history have you heard of a cat saying mass? I can't think of any, no. So Tiber can do that and so much more. Uh, so that was my medieval cat story, very briefly shared, and we'll mm-hmm. definitely be sharing pictures because they are so fucking cool. Uh, we're talking, the ones I showed you are from the 14th century, so a bit mm-hmm. after the story was originally penned. Just, But now let's move closer to us in time and go to uh, Guillaume Apollinaire, a French poet, because, you know, poets being the dramatic people they are, they tend to mm-hmm. love cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Guillaume Apollinaire was born in 1880 in Rome, as you do, of Polish and um, Polish mother, and died in eighteen no nineteen eighteen, which you might guess means something to do with World War One, and you're correct. Um, so very short life, but extremely influential career. Mm-hmm. He is literally one of the most influential French twentieth century poets, and um, he was friends with a lot of people from Montmartre. Like, either where Montmartre in the north of Paris was where uh, Amélie Poulain was shot, but also where, at the beginning of the 20th century, late 19th century, a ton of artists lived, and they were all very poor. At the time, it was a slum, and uh, yeah. he was very That was the place there. where we went when there was a lot of stairs. Correct. The place with a lot of stairs, yes. That's the one. I remember you talking about it being an artist uh, place. Yes. Uh, and uh, so he was the precursor of surrealism. So like if you think of Dali's work, the painter Dali, uh, so that's surrealistic. And he, actually the word surrealism was coined by Apollinaire. Mm-hmm. And uh, sadly, he got wounded during World War One and eventually died of his uh, wound little, oh, during the war actually, but he was not on the front anymore. And I can't, you know, like that's really sad for um, culture. We would have got so much more out of this man. But um, another cat that's quite famous is uh, the black cat that was a cabaret mm-hmm. on Montmartre, where he most likely was hanging out, I'm fairly certain. And I'm sure that you, dear listener, have seen um, the poster with this black cat sitting, his fluffy tail, and um, it looks very late 19th, early 20th century, uh, Tournée du Chanoir, and um, you might even have that on a tote bag, and you don't know. This place was incredible, way too much history for me to summarize, but hey, cool. Now, um, our boy, Guillaume Apollinaire, who really actually was Polish, and then he became French, just like the queen, um, wife of... Mm-hmm. Louis Fifteenth, she was Polish, but she became French because queen, and she liked cats, and you know what? He loved cats. Mm-hmm. Same, same. And he wrote this uh, poem that I'm going to read quickly called Le Chat, the Cat. Je souhaite... Can't speak. Je souhaite dans ma maison, une femme ayant sa raison, un chat passant parmi les livres, des amis en toute saison, sans lesquels je ne peux vivre. So tragic. Okay. I wish in my house a woman with her reason, a cat going through books, friends in every season, 
without whom I cannot live. That is not beautiful. I don't know what it is. Now, Guillaume Apollinaire, our boy, he also coined the term caligram, which probably is caligram in English. That's when you uh, draw a poem. Mm -hmm. So you, you write your poem in the shape of the thing you're talking about. And um, so he did not invent the principle that's way old, but he named it. And of course, he has one about cats. Um, we'll include the picture because it's literally the shape of a cat sitting with his tail mm -hmm. and whiskers. And it's just a bunch of uh, French idioms involving cats. And That's it's, great. it's really cool. The one that is the tail, like the butt and the tail, is quand le chat n'est pas là, les souris dansent. So when the cat's not here, mm -hmm. mice are dancing. All right, so um, let's move on to another poet who, this one, is my favorite poet. A symbolist and heavily, I am not okay, kind of man of the 19th <laughs> century. It's a guy who first translated Edgar Allan Poe into French because, you know, vibe, so that tells you everything you need to know about his mental health. And mm -hmm. I name Charles Baudelaire, who was born in 1821, died in 1867 of syphilis. Of course. Mm. So I'll find more excuses to talk about him more at length uh, at some other time, but I just really want us to rejoice in his words about cats. For if there is one thing that he loved more than anything, and I mean more than sex, more than talking in deprived way about women, that's cats. Mm -hmm. And he wrote multiple poems that are actually more like odes to cats. And um, I'm only going to per perform, perform one for you because I have to find some restraint in my life. And this is it also. The cats he's talking about are definitely cats because we have another saying in French that is to appeler un chat un chat, so to call a cat a cat, and that's to not. You can call a pussy a pussy, it's okay. <laughs> but when you call a cat a cat, then call. It's a cat, it's a cat. So he's talking about cats, not pussies. Mm -hmm. That makes sense? So are we ready for some Baudelaire? It's going to yes. be beautiful and intense. The title is. Le chat. Viens, mon beau chat, sur mon cœur amoureux. Retiens les griffes de ta patte et laisse-moi plonger dans tes beaux yeux. Mêlés de métal et d'agate. Lorsque mes doigts caressent ta loisir, ta tête et ton dos élastique, et que ma main s'enivre du plaisir de palper ton corps électrique. Je vois ma femme en esprit, son regard, comme le tien, aimable bête, profond et froid, coupe et fend comme un dard. Et des pieds jusqu'à la tête, un air subtil, un dangereux parfum, nage autour de son corps brun. And now for our French listeners, if you can tell me where I found the first stanza, you win 10 points. Uh, I should probably translate for our non-French. Um, yes, please. Listeners, so the cat. Come, my beautiful cat, onto my love, uh, no, 
unto my heart that is in love. Hold back the clothes from your paw and let me dive into your beautiful eyes made of a mix of metal and agate. I guess that's the name of this stone. Uh, when my fingers are enjoying caressing your head and your flexible, elastic back, and that my hand is becoming crazy in pleasure from palpating your electric body. I see my wife in spirit. Her gaze, just like yours, friendly beast, deep and cold, cuts and breaks like a what is it called? The thingy that bees have to sting you or sting, whatever. The thing. And from the feet to the head, on a subtle air, a dangerous perfume, I was swimming around her dark body because his girlfriend was dark, um, brown. So my translation this is was so not sexual. <laughs> I swear he's talking about a cat, except when he's talking about her. So does he sexualize the cat? Possibly. Anyway. Yes. Did I say he was not okay? Yes. So did I mention he was French? Yes, yes. Fair enough, fair enough. You're welcome. So my translation is not great, but um, you can find... A bunch of options online. I usually hate poetic translations, but yeah. um, so I couldn't choose one, and I decided to freestyle live just for you people. Um, so I personally am a translator. I don't do poetry translation because that's definitely a trade of its own, and it's yeah. absolutely not mine. And also, I don't translate into English because I'm a native French speaker. But um, yeah, give credit to people who can translate that and make it sound as beautiful as it is in French because it's a fucking beautiful text that I entirely butchered into English. You're welcome. Lo, anything you want to add to this? I just love how much literature and stuff there is about cats. I could think of one Swedish literature cat. I'm really? sure there are more, but I could think of one. Um which is a very prominent cat in my city. Yeah. Um, it's called Pelle Svanslas. Uh, so Pelle is just a name. It's uh, usually a nickname for Per, uh, which is a version of Peter. Um, and then his last name, Svanslas, means tailless. So before, mm -hmm. without a tail. Um, and uh, he's a lovely cat. He's a very kind cat and wants who who cares about people, wants to help people. Um, he's, he, he was born on a farm uh, and lost his tail in a, fat, in a fight with a rat uh, while trying to protect his siblings. Uh, so he does not have a tail. Um, and, but now, uh, as, a, as an older cat, or an, uh, as not a kitten, he lives with a family in central Uppsala, uh, and he also has a girlfriend called Maya Grednos. Uh, so Grednos means uh, cream nose. Uh -huh. So she has a, she has a white nose. Um, and Maya Grednos lives with her mom um, 
as in her cat, uh, the mother, her, her a cat mom, um, not a human mom, but a, her mom as a okay. cat. Um, uh, they live in like um, they don't live with humans. They live in uh, uh, like a hole in the wall, basically. Um, oh. Uh, so, and she's a very scrappy cat and very badass and cool. Uh, and Pella is is not as like he's it's a bit softer. Uh, and there's also oh. some mean cats like Elakamons is his main em- uh, nemesis. So Mons is a name, and Elaka is just mean. So mean Mons. Um, oh. So, um, but yeah, they hang out in uh, central Uppsala. There's a lot of Pelles Vansla's like statues and playgrounds and stuff in Uppsala. Yeah, you should make and, pictures. It looks really yes. cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I haven't read the the stories in such a long time. But when I was like reading up on it to refresh for this. Um, the stories claimed that, uh, or the website I read claimed that a lot of it was like inspired by. Um, so they were written in the first half, like or the, in like forties or fifties era, nineteen forties fifties, um, and uh, a lot of it was inspired by, uh, like, not liking Nazis. Oh, so Pelle is like a nice cat who's. Who who helps people instead of beating weak people and stuff? Mm. Uh, so yeah, Pelle, great cat, ten out of ten. <laughs> um, I like him. Yeah, that's really funny. How in Sweden you have cats in mythology, but you don't have them in current pop culture. I'm sure we do. I just couldn't, but I, not any that stood out. That's uh, funny. But, yeah. you know, to be fair, um, I was talking about uh, recording this episode with a friend a few days ago. And I told her I was reading, rereading Le Roman Renard because I was taking notes on the cat. And she told me, but you realize that a renard is a renard, which is really funny when you say it in French. Mm-hmm. So, fox is a fox. Yes. And I was like, yes. But there's his, like, buddy, Tiber, who is a meow meow. And I literally said he's mm-hmm. a meow meow at the restaurant. And my friend just went, oh, there's a meow meow in the story? I didn't remember there was a meow meow. And we're two very grown women <laughs> talking about meow meow mm-hmm. in a restaurant. And I thought, you know, yeah, that's perfect. The power of cats. Yes. So yeah, she's she'd forgotten him. Um, but fair enough. Uh, we don't read medieval stories every second day, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so when I was a kid, there was a cartoon on TV because we had a ton of those in France, mm. and that was based on the story of Renard, so the medieval story. And I actually don't remember if there was a cat in it. I'm sure there was the cat in it. I remember other characters, but not the cat. And it was. Like in the present days, it was very different. Yeah. This reminds me, I forgot about a cat. Um, oh. So there's, um, there's like a, I guess you'd say cartoon. So it started as like a written comic cartoon thingy. Uh, and I, I can't English. 
uh, en serietidning in Swedish. Um, and then it's been animated as well. So uh, it's called Bamse, världens starkaste björn. Uh, so Bamse is a bear. He's the world's strongest bear. Uh, he's a very nice bear and t- who cares about people. And he's big on solidarity. Uh, it's very clear that the writer was very leftist. Um, but anyway, his uh, his grandma uh, is a quite prominent character in the story. And she has a cat um, called Katten Jansson. Um, Katten is just the cat. And then Jansson, I don't know what he's called. Jansson is just the name. <laughs> um, but yes, there she has a cat and she there also lives a mouse in her house. And they, they're constantly fighting. Of um, course. Yeah, it's a it's a very nice story, Bamsa. He's a, he's a good bear. He takes care of people. Um, I think I heard about him when I was so I was majoring in Danish and also eventually took Norwegian. I never touched on Swedish, but I have friends who did. Why not? Uh, and so I'm pretty sure they read like stories from him in class. Yeah. yeah. It's a good. He's a good bear. <laughs> so, obviously, clearly, there's some uh, good uh, pop culture and uh, literature cats in our world. Yeah, I can't think of any re- any cat stories in Ace Wolf except for the goddess one. No, very sad for them. <sighs> Definitely an oversight. Yes. Clearly, we need to write to Grom. Like this is the conclusion yes. I take um, from this from this recording. We, we we clearly there's a problem. Uh, now, if you listener have some ideas of you know what else to include into this letter mm-hmm. uh, about cats, it's about cats only. We want yes. Grom to include cats. We don't want to um, be annoying to him and ask when winds are coming because no. we are not that kind of people. We are people who want cats. Yes, we want shaped cats for one. Uh, and then we we need to know more about the cats who are getting combed. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I'm very curious about what cat would put up with this. Um, what more questions did we have about cats? Uh, well, we probably want to know for a fact that Balerion is Balerion. Yes, yes, we do want to know that. Um, Balerion is such a good cat. I, I yeah. really like him. No, me too. Oh, Serpons. We want to make sure that yes. Serpons is okay. Yes, 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 yes. Very important. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of Serpons, I don't think we mentioned this, but I find it so relatable that uh, Marjorie meant to give Tommen one kitten. And she presented three options, and he was like, "I can't decide. I want all of them." <laughs> yeah, that's like probably, yes, all of the cats, please. That's the most relatable character moment in the whole of the book series. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yes, yeah, that's relatable. It definitely, I also read that, um, and was like, "Oh yeah, that's me, me and Tommen. We have so much in common." <sighs> The main oh, thing right. I disagree with Tommen on is his stance of, on beats. Yeah, they'll say that he's wrong. Yes. 
Bees are good. Bees are good. Uh, and they feed people, so that's even better, yes. especially when winter is coming. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Should we close this beautiful episode on thanking you, beautiful listener? So reminder, please, um, you are more than welcome to write to us on uh, any of our social media or email. That's all with ragmanspod at gmail.com or whatever. Thingy thingy on Blue Sky and on X, Twitter. Um, ask us questions. Yes. Do you agree that we need more cats in uh, a swath? Because I think we mm-hmm. must agree. Do yes. you have questions? Do you want to give more cat stories from your country because we are very open to more cat mm-hmm. stories uh do you want to talk about dogs because don't can have another episode for that no i'm joking of course you can talk about dogs do you want to share your cat pictures because we want cat pictures mm. <laughs> oh my god i just realized we forgot to talk about something Our the cats. most important cats uh ace of cats yeah, Harris and Allison. Oh my God, <laughs> Chloe and her roommates cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my. they're good cats. I'm sure. Anyway, this sorry. Is Just, better. We have cats named after Ace of characters in the fandom. All, oh, yeah, also, Gendry, uh, Manu's cat, Gendry. Um, so I don't have this cat yet, but I totally want to have a cat called. I want one called Tormund, obviously, because I'm me. Mm. But I also want one called Benjamin Stark is a cat. Yes. Mm. Yes. I'm so, I'm sure we've forgotten. Is Sanri has one called Rhaegar, right? But that's a dog, I think. Sanri, please correct Sanry. us. <laughs> I'm sure we've forgotten cats, Ace of Cats. But I was just like, I have to mention some Ace of Cats. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes. All right. Um, so maybe it's time to thank our wonderful uh, sound engineer, Little yes. Wolfbird, and Matt Graham for the music. Yes. And you, beautiful listener, for being a beautiful listener. Mm-hmm. We hope you subscribed. So that you know, next time uh, we release an episode, very important. What could it be about? Maybe dogs. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Anything to add? No. Just thank you for listening. Uh, not sure when this comes out, but happy holidays. Um, th- we're recording this just before Christmas. I mean, we are recording before Christmas. Happy, I mean, way before Christmas. Oh. Happy holidays to you, Tulo, and to you, listener. Happy, I don't know, Easter? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see when this comes up. Surprise! There's going to be some holiday. It's going to be some holiday somewhere for someone. And we wish you this to be a happy one for you. Yes. Okay, bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
coucha sur mon cœur amoureux. Retiens les griffes de ta patte et laisse-moi plonger dans tes beaux yeux. Mêlés de métal et d'agate. Chez bas, une histoire entre votre chat et vous. Les plus grands artistes ont admiré les chats. Avec Sheba, découvrez les plus beaux musées du monde. En ce moment, chaque barquette de Sheba peut vous y emmener.